Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and with me is our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are in Kailua, Kona, Hawaii right now. Pretty exciting stuff. We're outside of Kona right now. That's this is true. something I did not know. Mm. We're in, I technically, technically what, Puwako? Or Puaku, something I like don't that. Know. Something like that. But the thing is, I always thought Kona was the island. Shows how ignorant I am. Yeah. It's, the island is actually called, it's not called the Big Island. The official name is Hawaii. Hawaii. Yep. And then everyone calls it the Big Island because if you say I'm on Hawaii, they just think, you know, Maui or Kauai or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, And then every Hawaiian island has a Kailua town. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the post office is. It's basically, it's kind of like a capital. Yeah, so and then it's Kailua Kona. So yeah. that's where the Ironman starts, and obviously they go way outside of it, but mm-hmm. learn something new every day. Yeah, we're somewhere on the island where Frodo lost the ring somewhere. It's like black rock. Did they rock. film here? I no. wonder sometimes, right? <laughs> yes, so new yesterday, yeah, yesterday we rode, uh, geez, we rode the 70.3 course here. So the latter half, or the northern half perhaps is a better say, like the north, uh, northern half of the bike leg for Ironman for this, Ironman it shares the same course yeah and uh, the harder it's, part it's bleak it's yeah. super bleak yeah Kona is like uh what it has every every like climate 13 yeah. different climate zones or something yeah. like that it's a gigantic it's, island and you can see them when you're riding you look uh, like up the mountain when you're on the coast and you can see oh it's really green right there and then after that you get up into the clouds and there's like in the rare moments that you can see above that it's just super dense vegetation trees yeah. if, you, Mike, if you have a chance to drive from the Kona side over to the Hilo side you will see amazing changes in in really short periods of time over by Kona though it's so much more bleak than I thought it would be mm. it's just lava rock everywhere and part of it actually looks like Nevada. We were saying that yeah, we're riding totally yesterday. Does. And in the the ugly parts of Nevada, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Hawaii. It's not all. It beautiful. doesn't feel like uh, to me. It doesn't feel like Howie or Hawaii spending time on like an Oahu and on uh, Maui. It, yeah, it just yeah. Some of it's downright not tropical. It's <laughs> yes, just black not rock. at all. Yep, and black it's rock. Hot. There's sagebrush. Uh, like was there sagebrush? Up. There was yeah, yesterday. I was bit. looking at that. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, just uh, really crazy. But we are here uh, to really. We will talk about the race. It hasn't happened yet. World champs uh, the, it's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. We will be on. Uh, we'll probably be on the live broadcast. You might see us catching a bike successfully. Hopefully successfully. I, hope. I so hope. I'm gonna have anxiety tonight. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna trip. So one of the top pros. We'll be in T2 uh, catching the... Uh, we should be around the time to catch the pros' bikes, at, at least the pro women's bikes for sure, um, and, and a good chunk of the pro men, maybe not the, the first guys. We'll see, though. Um, so we'll be there and, 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 and checking out that event, enjoying and supporting it. It's going to be pretty cool. We just had... We did an interview. I'm not sure when it will be up, but with Matt Lieto, and he mm-hmm. said that some of the pros or some of the Ironman people will get off drive side. Yeah. So when you... Threw us for a loop. Yeah. So we're doing all the cross stuff and you get off on the non-drive side. But if you try to catch the bike on the wrong side, I, that, I, I don't know what I would do. So the bike's going down. Are they in the water at 7 a.m.? 6.30 for the pros, I believe. Yeah, and then we'll, 6.35 we'll, we'll for the We'll be there to catch the, the pro men then. We should be. Yeah. Should They're be. out of the water by 7.30. We're there at 11. No one's going to do a sub-four-hour bike split. Yeah, no one's doing it, yeah. Yeah, and, and another thing, and I, I guess, yeah, we, we can, we'll talk about this, I guess, a little later on about the bike split and everything else. We'll break that down. Well, actually, even though we're in Hawaii, let's talk about something that we're not really doing here and probably not a lot of people do here, but cyclocross. <laughs> Before we get into your questions, yes. because last weekend was a double header. 
um, a really big race called Cross Reno and really cool course. It's where they're going to have the 2018 national championships. No, um, they're actually going to have it out at Hidden Valley. So it's not the same. Really? Mm-hmm. They're changing the venue. Yeah. Huh. Well, so they'll have it in a very, a worse spot, just the same, but this spot's really cool. <laughs> and that had really good, like Tobin Orton blood. He showed up for those that don't know Tubin, uh, or Tobin, forgive me. His, his, uh, his Instagram is Mick Tubin. That's why I said that. But, uh, Tobin, he is the under 23 champ, probably going to be national champion. We had Jonathan Page show up, Keegan Swenson, one of the best mountain bikers in the nation. We had um, Carl Decker was there, just like a stacked field. It was really cool. Katarina Nash won the women's field. Um, we had other Lunar Riders. So, yeah, big surprise there. Katarina's a legend. Um, but we raced too, which was, it's more impressive than the pros perhaps, right? <laughs> We're legends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the course was... It was totally different. It was kind of like a mix between the different ones that I've done. How would you guys describe the course? Um, it, it was a nice. It was a nice blend of technicality and and power segments. Yeah, I liked the power. <laughs> the yeah. technicality segments weren't super technical, and the power sections were long enough and mm-hmm. sustained enough that it would make a difference if you're a powerful rider, which I like kind of like that mix so far of my mm-hmm. minimal cross riding. It was, it was probably the most balanced blend so far. Yeah. There were, there were two barrier sections where you had to get off the bike and, and, and run them or bunny hop them. They were close together about a foot and a half tall. There was a hazing pit, which basically <laughs> was a pit full of hay. And you we'll have could, a picture of that. Yeah. We'll put it on our Instagram. Yeah. In fact, yeah, you, you'll, you'll see that popping up there. You just trainer road at trainer road on Instagram. Um, we have, uh, with this hazing pit, it had on the outsides of it, it had a ramp that you could ride up. Then you had to ride a skinny that was about three feet above the ground elevated over the, the hay pit. Then you had to drop off the edge of it or get off and run through it or bunny hop, land in the hay mm-hmm. and jump out. That was another, or bunny hop out. And that it was, was called like that pro pretty fast. Yeah, that the was the B line and the C line. Yeah, because <laughs> on the other side there's that drop. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, a lot of people wanted to ride it, and as cool as it was, and people were handing out. They, there were there were so many hand ups in that area. Mm-hmm. It was crazy loud crowd, but it's actually slower to ride over the unless you're riding unless up you on the skinny. Fast. No, even the top guys, uh, Tobin and everybody else, they were not riding the skinny. They were bunny hopping into the hay, bunny oh. hopping out mm. of the hay. It was I, a lot faster because mm. that dro- the problem was you dropped off three feet. And on a cyclocross bike, you got narrower tires than a mountain bike. You drop off three feet with very little There's momentum. Not, it wasn't a three feet drop, three foot drop. Two and a half, two. It was pretty. Maybe it was, two. It was, it was high enough. Yeah. yeah. It was high enough that it was it was not as high as your wheel, but darn near close to it. So and into an, pretty high. a mildly uphill turn too. And that's the problem. It was grass and slightly uphill and a turn. So when you would drop off, your momentum would really stop there. Now, if you remounted your bike, same thing. Your momentum would stop. But they would avoid the drop and avoid remounting, and it was quicker if they bunny hopped in, bunny hopped I out. I sat there and I watched races. So the takeaway is is. Some of the obstacles, you could do something fancier on that's faster, but it's you have to look at your exit. Totally. Yeah. And I saw during each race, uh, maybe just a few people per field, maybe like mm-hmm. two or three. But out of those, like maybe one person would make it well. The yeah. other people, I saw some guys crash, just go over the front of their bars. Other people <laughs> yeah. go into the barriers. Yeah. And you the people that just ran to, through it were, were faster. You almost yeah. have to make a conscious decision. Am I there to impress the crowd or am I there to race well and not get yeah, hurt? The crowd loved it. <laughs> Which is a total part of cross oh, too, right? Yeah. I saw yeah. some people though, like 
they went up there, they took it not too fast, and they came off right, and it just was smooth and yep. and awesome. Yeah, so it's, that wasn't me. I ran through it. Yeah, and I, I chose time. to run through it too. I, I was so foggy brained that I w- did not have confidence in mm-hmm. myself to hit that with precision every time. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, there was a sand section, and this sand section started out almost hard packed dirt, uh, and then it got kind of rutted in the beginning, and then it got deep sand. It was about six and, inches deep and unlike the cross vegas course it wasn't just a straight push through it it was really turning yeah so, turning so. i tried to pre-ride it and uh with the turns i like fell yeah it's like i'm running through this yeah yeah and i, I rode it every lap i was able to get through it just fine but there, the, there was a ledge coming out of it yeah too. the exit had a full curb so yeah. so just imagine a, a curb on a street but with nothing on too. either side of it so, the decisions too on, on the cross race like running through it I was running at the same speed as people were riding, mm-hmm. but it was getting back on the bike as they would gap me. And something yeah. now that we, I've done a few races is getting back on, off and off, on and off the bike, depending on how many barriers and stuff obstacles there are, it will take me, I might lose a second or two, but because of the laps, especially when we went in Truckee, so two seconds and you have five of those a lap, that's 10 seconds and you yeah, do five dope. laps, yeah. it's almost a minute. Yeah. And like, a minute, like how are you going to pull back a minute yeah. riding on someone who's similar fitness? And totally. that's just or not. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you say that. So in the sand, as far as riding through it, now you can ride through it and just make it through, or you can ride through it quickly, right? And so I raced with the P12 guys. Um, so it was a really, really competitive group. They, they waxed me. I, I finished mid-pack somewhere. Um, but they... In our group, you to ride it, you had to ride it fast. And if you did, you you were pulling people that ran it because they'd have to be practically sprinting. Um, we were putting out 700 watts, 800 watts and above every time through there. And you're trying to float through on the perfect line and carry momentum really smooth. So th- there's kind of like that graduation that you do, not unlike the thing that we were talking about with a hazing pit where, sure, you can get over the obstacle or you can ride the obstacle, you can do it, but can you do it fast? And in the sand, if you were not confident about how you would get through it every time and you were going slower, then yeah, it probably makes more sense. It might make more sense, I should say, just to just to run it. So Everything for now with me is slower is better. It's all, it's all about learning to do it well before I learn to do it fast. So building up the technique to ride it or yeah. to do anything. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And then they had a run-up. That was the other... Well, they had a flyover, which basically... It was a steep flyover. Oh, it was. a scary flyover. Some guy knocked himself out. It was, it was way Number steeper than, teeth. Lost yep. than Cross Vegas. Way steeper. So it it started out and it had a harsh, it had a transition, a double transition. Uh, so at the bottom, it was just the suddenly went from downhill. You actually came downhill mm-hmm. slightly With into it. a lot it, of speed. And a lot of speed. And it uh, started, the woods started there. And then it picked up again, super steep. Then just a sharp edge on top. And that had to be like 45 degrees. It was yep. severe. I thought it was more than 45. Yeah, it, it was been. steep. At yeah. the top. So it was so steep that I was hitting my pedal you on the top you crest. You couldn't pedal. Couldn't pedal. Yeah, no. you had to and, ca- and just I, carry enough speed to get up over. Speed, yeah, with the speed that I was carrying into it, I would hit the top, and then I would have to brake because mm-hmm. in the race I was dropping down, and my front wheel was landing like a foot before the second transition. Yeah. So that was like, if I had gone a little further, I would have destroyed myself. If yeah. I had landed in that transition, completely when I would go back up like a pump down the other side, my rear wheel because of the drop would be in the air. Yeah, and my front tire would go down. Yeah, that was yeah. a tricky flyover. Yeah, if you pedaled on the top of that, then you were going to go down very... It was going to be bad. Um, the other section that they had was a run-up. 
Uh, so they had a little bit of everything and steep, really loose uh, dirt and rock Long hill. Long too. Long, yeah. I'd say mm-hmm. um, probably if you were to time it, it like was probably 40, somewhere around 40 seconds. 45 40 second effort, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. If you rode the whole thing, it was 40, long. 45 seconds. And uh, nobody in the pro race rode it. I got the closest. I'm excited about that. <laughs> um, I, I got about two-thirds, or I'd say three-quarters of the way up. Uh, maybe actually even more. And I just picked, I, I picked every line perfectly until that point. And I got to the spot where I pedaled three times and I didn't move. And I was like, I'm off, you know, yeah, and I made it all the way up it till geez, maybe a quarter to go. And then someone in front of me decided to dismount. And that was yeah. that. So, which the, the moral of this story is it, it was far better to ride about halfway to yep. this common, uh, the, the same spot. Everybody was dismounting and then run it the rest yeah, of the way. Cause you had a yeah. fast um, going into it, it was fast, so you could carry yep. momentum. Yep. And I wasn't doing that. I was getting off at the bottom, and that's Ooh. because originally they had some hay laid down there that was yeah. really slippery, and when I pre-rode it, my buddy right in front of me, he tried to go through that, and he slipped and crashed. Yep. But as the race went on, and so I was in the first race, too. The hay got pushed away. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't even a factor. No, the yeah. entry was real fast and, and yeah. really confident. But, I mean, for my race, it was not. It and, was Yeah, and this... Was, thick that's a good point that you brought up chad that there was a point in that in Mm -hmm. the climb where everyone got off it's just where your momentum came to a a crawl it was the right time to get out shoulder your bike or you know push it if you chose to to go that route sand with run-ups with anything else you don't want to dismount your bike when you have no momentum right Mm -hmm. you always want to dismount your bike when you have some momentum on your side so in this case the climb pitched up it had a point a very direct point where it started to get steep Oh, steeper. And the sand was really soft prior to that too. Yep. So right there, if you got off before then, you could carry some momentum still. If you got off after that and you tried to climb it, you were probably going to be slower because chances are you weren't going to make it to the top and you dismount with zero momentum. And it helped every lap to know that that spot was coming. So you would drive into that with a little extra speed in in you and and know that I'm getting off right there rather than try to push a little past it or, I mean, just just set your strategy, stick to it. And it was, it got progressive faster every lap and it's a steep it was a steep hill it's loose it's off camber and in that situation i found shouldering the bike to be much much better than i saw a lot of people carrying the bike just grabbing the top tube or pushing it and that was that would have tired you out made you imbalanced made Mm -hmm. it hard to stay online i pushed it was fine pushed yeah Yeah. then you don't have to carry the whatever 18 pound bike up the way you're just mm, yeah. pushing it no it helps so I, I much. argue that if you have a hard time carrying an 18 pound bike then you need to work on your fitness true it's just, it just shouldn't be yeah, enough weight no, to, it, no running up a hill with an 18 pound vest on is gonna slow you down as opposed to dragging that vest though yeah that's the thing no it, you're pushing those wheels dude yeah. <laughs> it's not dragging no, no i tried it one time and, it, and one time was i gotta look to on strava and compare hard. our times up that running because i yeah, ran up it please fast. do yeah, yeah. We, I were, we were, it, it, it I, I did it both ways. Did you guys do it both ways? Yeah. If it wasn't, it and time. also here's the deal too. If it wasn't faster then all the pros would not be doing that on run-ups, right? And that's the thing. If you watch steep run-ups, the first thing they do is they want to get the bike balanced on themselves. That's why you do that. Well, you put it up there so it's balanced. So you're not off balance. You're not leaning away. And that way you can just focus on running up. Um, it really helps with going through, especially in this case, cause there were big rocks mm-hmm. in spots, you know, softball size or some smaller, some bigger underneath kind of loose dirt. So sometimes when you would step, it wouldn't, it wasn't like you had sure footing, right? So mm-hmm. it wasn't muddy, but it was just really loose. The other thing I so. see the pros do is, and I think they do this on purpose, but they'll put the, when they put it on their shoulder, they'll put it horizontal 
mm-hmm. I've seen guys like they think someone's gonna pass them and they mm. throw it down horizontal and you can't yep. pass them and they, yeah. it's like blocking the whole run up. Yeah, and there's different ways you can do that when you pass your arm underneath your top tube and then you grab the 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 drops on the on the other side that kind of keeps your bike more or less straight but what mm-hmm. a lot of them will do is they'll put that up there and then they'll grab the drop that's hanging off so if you're put it on your right arm they'll grab the right drop and when they do that you pull it in and that's when your bike turns out right yeah. and gets in everyone's way so they're yeah they're strategic it's about like a it. big shield yeah yeah so that that race was hard but here's the tricky thing and this actually relates to a question that we got um I was, so I had a bad day. It, it, I was, I don't, there were a lot of factors that could have contributed to it. Hardly any sleep that whole week. Um, really we were out in the sun all day long, all coaching day. juniors. Yeah. There was a kid's clinic that I was leading and a bunch of stuff. Um, so I had a really bad day, but my FTP right now is at 300 and my, my normalized power for an hour and six minute race with the P one twos, which I got, I think I got 13th out of 30 in that group. So all of that, 229 watts. My mind was bent at that. Like I couldn't understand why my power was so low because when I crossed the finish line, it was a bad day, but I was completely exhausted. I had nothing left. Like, um, I mean, full on cramps, fatigue. Had you have gone out too fast? So kind of blown your, you know, redlined it really early. When the race, when the race went off, I, I instantly, that was my strategy was to go hard, put myself in a good position, manage things from there. Right. And I tried to go hard in the first lap and I couldn't like my body didn't respond. So I didn't try to push that. I just read, I changed my strategy and I said, I am just going to hold a consistent pace and hope that that helps me pick people off. And I did help more or less her hold close to a consistent pace, but every lap I saw my normalized just tick down, just drop down. Yeah, but see, what we're determining, and what's pretty obvious too, is that normalized power only tells a very small part or paints a very small part of this picture. And cross, yeah. Oh, yeah, and not just the dismounts, but man, that run-up was just sapping. It was, I mean, that's what inspired the cramps that pretty much took over my whole body after about an hour. Mm -hmm. In your Uh, second race. Which added two races. Back, yeah. back to back, to back. <clears throat> yeah and it was that run-up that was killing me yeah it was just destroying me getting off the bike hoofing it up trying it's to you trying to go bike. pretty fast <laughs> no, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered but uh that it, it, so so there's a lot of stress that your power meter is not going to measure yeah well and, just and, like so my ftp is probably right around that same 300 right now mm-hmm. but my normalized power was 255 so that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting is either yeah. Or how we, I wish there was a way for us to figure out how we put out power. Yeah. It's tough to say whether On that was course. beneficial that he actually put out that much more power though. Yeah. Right. I mean, so well, looking at Nate, lap Nate times, weighs more, of course, that, that, well, yeah. that considered. Yeah. Right. Looking at lap times, my best lap time was right the same speed as Jonathan's worst lap time, huh. even at that extra power. And Chad, I actually got a faster lap than you. Really? Yeah. There we are. That's pretty awesome. Nice job, Chad. So, so I got second in the C, I rode the C's, which uh-huh. is cat four five. And I got second place by like 13 seconds. And I could have won it if I would have done dismounts better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, I, then I rode the Bs. And I was actually doing really well. And then I dropped my one by chain twice. Really? Yeah. yeah. And that's so, and here's, here's the, if you drop really the chain bumpy. on a one by, there are probably two things that are contributing to it. Number one, where. 
if you and that that's not the case with Nate's bike because it's all a brand new drivetrain, right? But if your uh, narrow wide chain ring up front starts to get too worn, or your <coughs> chain is too worn and it can it can flex laterally a lot, um, or has a lot of movement there, that can wear that can make it happen. If you have a Shimano derailleur, the clutches tend to wear out in those, and you have to retension them, and that can cause another problem. So just wear on the drivetrain or backpedaling through bumps can sometimes, if you have like an exaggerated chain line or even a straight chain line, backpedaling can sometimes cause issues. <laughs> and the reason for that is that it's, you've got tension over the top of your chain, right? If you're to look at the drivetrain when you're pedaling, it's all under tension over the top, but the bottom doesn't have any tension on it. So when you're backpedaling like that, since you have no tension, even though you have a clutch derailleur down there, it's nowhere near the tension you have on the top. If you backpedal, it's easy for that chain to derail. Yeah, it was an extremely bumpy section after that flyover, mm -hmm. and I wasn't pedaling. I bet if I was pedaling, it wouldn't happen. Yep. But to remedy that, we're going to get a, a chain guide because we have a little spot for it, and the, yeah, the we weight have, is mm -hmm. nothing. Negligible. It's like yeah. a brazon. So we have brazon mounts on this frame for a front derailleur, and uh, there are a bunch of companies. I can think of one like One Up uh, Components is a, is a brand, Absolute Black. They make another one really small little, um, it's like a Delrin or plastic chain guide weighs next to nothing. And all it does is it just, it just goes around the 360 degrees around the chain there, just sits above there. You adjust the height and it stops the chain from derailing on the top. Now, having said that, that may not fix your issue if backpedaling is derailing it, right? I don't think, it, so. I don't think I was backpedaling. I was well, jamming 20 miles no, no an But like... here's the, no, 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 it's not that you're backpedaling, right? But what you're doing when you're hitting those bumps and you're uneven mm. and your feet just, it's not, it's not yeah, a full revolution. my feet are bouncing back and forth. Exactly. It's really small. And with how bumpy that section was, it, just a small movement backward that could drop it. Um, <laughs> that's why in those sections, a lot of the time, even when you're not under putting out a huge amount of power, I always try to keep my legs moving forward that's what I would, in bumpy sections. And the next times I did those, I was always like, okay, I got to pedal just light. Pedal through that. Yeah, yeah, just give it motion, right? Yeah. So then it doesn't pop off. That's so, a good tip. Yeah, that can really help. Chad, um, how did you do in the in the bees? Um, I think I got second, but I'm. They break it down so much, I almost feel like it's. I mean, a win's a win, or yeah, because the age groups. Or not the yeah. categories, right? Yes, I mean it gets it gets distilled down to such small groups that it, I mean, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna place. So yeah. I, it, it went well, and and like I said, I'm not so concerned with being fast right now as being experienced. Efficient. So I'm gonna so. actually stop racing the C's, and well, if it's if there's if there's enough time, I'll do C's and B's. But if not, I'll do the B's just because I want the well, longer race and more experience. Exactly, and that's why I keep doubling up. I mean, I, doubling up isn't really effective, effective You're not racing, win. right? You're just beating yourself up in time for the race that's the more competitive race is the way it works out. But... Uh, with cross, pretty much the only time you can practice cross, unless you're going to go set up obstacles or you have a, a dedicated course, which I don't know that anybody does, yeah. it's it's on the race course. So, I mean, yeah, you can do a couple early laps and, and call that practice, but then it's, it's race time. So race time is kind of the only time you have to really practice, certainly under race intensity, but even to face those obstacles and have the opportunities to, to work on dismounts and run-ups and all and flyovers. I mean, who has a flyover in their backyard? Yeah, it's pretty rare. So then um, we did the next day. We did Truckee Bike the Park, part, which is um, it's higher in elevation. Mm -hmm. uh, you're at seven thousand feet roughly, and the dirt is totally different there. Mm -hmm. um, it was very technical. So it was more like a they actually had single track mountain bike, and you went through the pump track. It's a full bike park. So they have dirt yeah. jumps and and the pump track, which you guys use. And guys that I beat the day before smoked me on that, just mm -hmm. because it was more frustrating. I feel I feel like all the 
the race courses in Reno, everyone's like, it's got to be super gnarly, hmm. like mm-hmm. the the mountain bike. Like, if, this would be a great, the single track that we went on, if it was a mountain bike course, I'd be like, oh, this would be perfect. But no, they have to make it a cross course. <laughs> but I am improving my my handling. So, yeah. Anyways, I got smoked. It seems pretty typical that the race courses around our neck of the woods are kind of a, a marriage of mountain bike course and cross course, mm-hmm. like a 50-50 split. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's um, that one, too, something... Did you guys notice that you had time to breathe or relax through the pump track section, or was that another point uh-huh. of fatigue? No, time? breathe and relax. Yeah, pump you track, can't really pedal. You can't go fast. Yeah. yeah. So I know that when I ride a pump track on my bike, which you make a good point, Chad, you can't really go fast, right? And with a cyclocross bike, that's not the ideal bike for a pump track. But I know that is an, just absolutely <coughs> exhausting uh, exercise is riding riding a pump track. Yeah, but I can see where it could be riding it with like that's riding it with a lot of aggression and a lot of pace and everything else and smoothness. Well, a lot so. of other riders on the track too. So the guy in front of you is going to dictate your speed. There's that's no a passing on a pump track. Yeah, so that could have been a point of of relief. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. The power sections, quote power sections on the grass at this course had a ton of turns. Mm. So you really didn't get a sustained power section. There was just mm-hmm. one climb where I could take a good amount of time off on my competitors, but it was definitely not a course suited for me. But again, I'm getting better. But you know what we're going to do? Dropper posts. Mm-hmm. That would have helped so much. Oh. You, we bought everything. Jonathan, you want to describe dropper posts? Yeah. So basically, and here's the deal. So dropper posts, like a lot of people think that on a cyclocross bike, that would be excessive. Um, but what we've done is looked at how we're riding these bikes and there are a couple things that we want to solve with this. Basically, uh, in a situation where you have barriers, it is going to be so much easier to bunny hop those barriers without a saddle that's way up, you know, into your nether regions and uncomfortable. Um, but that it also makes it so that if you do get in a situation where you, don't clear a barrier fully or anything else like that. You have so much more clearance in between your body and your bike. So you can let your bike move there before the saddle hits you and kicks you over the front. So that's one thing that we want to solve. But then also there are certain situations where there, there are descents or technical sections where uh, a technical turn or anything else like that, where if you drop that saddle, that will will allow you to separate the bike from your body a little more. So uh, in other words, you can lean the bike, not your body into a turn, get much more traction like you're supposed to do in, in dirt and off-road sections. Uh, you'll be able to, in a bumpy section like that, once again, separate the bike so that the bumps going through the bike don't transfer up to your body and make you unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really going to help, but I, we don't like, oh, I guess I don't like things that look ugly. So we've made sure that we can do it really clean. So we got, um, KS is the kind shock is the company It's called KS Lev. And we got the Integra 27.2 seat post, uh, hundred millimeters of drop, hundred millimeters of drop. I think it's 400 millimeters overall in length or 450, I think. Um, and it's, uh, it's an internally routed dropper post. It's not hydraulic like a rock shocks. It's all cable driven. So it just has a normal shifter cable coming out of the bottom that goes through our down tube. And then since our bikes are one by, or they have, they don't have a front uh, derailleur. We don't, we we have a port that's not being used on our frames right now. So we're going to run that cable out that port. And then on the left side of our bars, since once again, we don't have a front derailleur, we don't have a front shifter paddle on that brake shifter integrated unit over there. Right now, our bikes just have a brake lever, but we bought the brake shift lever that you would usually use for a front derailleur. 
And that's going to be the engagement lever for our dropper posts. And then we don't have to like clip on something onto our handlebars and adjust slick. where we have our hands. So we're going to use that. You have to remove the ratchet mechanism uh, out of, or a portion of the ratchet mechanism out of that shifter. So then it doesn't click on you. It just moves and is spring loaded. Um, but that's, uh, that's the plan. It's going to be super clean all internally routed and uh, other than looking at the seat post and recognizing that it is a dropper a lot of people i'm sure won't even be able to tell that we have them on there yeah i gotta say i was reluctant to do this whole thing it just seems like it's adding complexity to an already complex sport mm. um, and then it kind of you know takes away from the nature of what cross is about but again our, our course is being kind of a blend of mountain biking and cross i like the idea of being able to get that i mean you drop off the back of the saddle and that saddle's right up against your you know your your midsection mm -hmm. that's an uncomfortable place to be you mm -hmm. you crash with that in that position it's gonna hurt so it's not exactly confidence inspiring so if we can drop it i figure that's uh it's definitely something i'm gonna try out mm -hmm. too like on sunday when we did the loose fast corners if i had a dropper post and my yeah. center of gravity was lower i yeah. can see so right now we're in a hotel room and i can see all of our bikes look at my dropper post or my post guys it's so high. Oh, yeah it's, I, i'm i limit i'm actually a little bit higher that. than max on some bikes mm -hmm. uh and i'm on a 61 like as big as that bike gets. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the tricky thing that I think a lot of people do not uh, take into account is that when your center, gra center of gravity is high like that and your traction is unsure and you're on bumpy terrain, you really can make a lot of gains in those sections by at the very least separating your bike from your body so it doesn't move that high, you know, that mass that's so high up, but also dropping that mass down. It can really yeah. help. It's like, uh, if you think about it, it's like leverage. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have like a two meter pull, and it's, imagine it's at like a 45 degree angle and you're pushing against dirt hmm. and, and like, and you have all the way at the very end of that two meter, yep. it's, it's going to totally like slip. It's going to be easy. Yep. But if it's a one meter pull and the weight's there, it's a lot stronger. Yeah. A lot less. So that's, that's the goal with that. So, um, we'll let you guys know. We had one other question about the cyclocross bikes too, that was about gearing and how we have that set up. So as we mentioned, we have a one by 11 drivetrain and it uses a SRAM, uh, CX one rear derailleur, and then it just has their normal, their CX-1 front chainring. So the chainring has a wide tooth, then a narrow tooth, and it repeats that pattern all the way around. And if you look at your chain, the gaps in the links are, or the, the, the holes in there, they aren't the same. It's narrow and wide, narrow and so wide. So you have to put it on this right chain yep. pattern? You do, yeah. I don't think I've done that. Well, well you've had you, to. You had to. It won't, oh, it won't work otherwise. Fit. It won't fit. <laughs> okay, good. So, and the reason that, and th what that does is it just makes it a tighter fit and it's impressive. It doesn't cause any drag because it's just exploiting mm -hmm. that extra space that you have, but it stops the chain from being able to shift around yeah. and it does not come off. And knock on wood, I haven't dropped a chain yet and we've taken some, some pretty gnarly little stretches of uh, terrain. We have. So that's what we have in the front. And then in the back, we have that CX-1 derailleur and we had a mid cage derailleur and a normal like 1136, so like a wide range road cassette when we got it. But we wanted to have more range just for certain courses and it is really paid off. Cause we're fancy. Yeah, for fancy. And it's paid off in certain sections where it's steep and loose. Chad and I have been able to ride up things where other people can't. Hmm. Uh, we put the SRAM X-01 rear, or rear cass or cassette on there and it goes all the way from a 10 which is crazy tiny, mm -hmm. all the way up to a 42. And so we have huge range. And when you're talking about the difference between an 11 and a 10, that's actually, even though it's just one tooth, you're getting a lot of difference in terms of speed down there at that, at that ratio. So we're able to carry 33, roughly, miles an hour. Yeah, maybe even 35. Oh, yeah. 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 We brought our cross bikes here. Like a 110 RPM spin? 
to Kona mm-hmm. and we put on a 28 millimeter Schwabies, Schwabie yeah. Pro, right? Schwabie Pro 1 tubeless. Yep. And we just did that because we thought it was going to rain a bunch and we're like, oh, we should have this brakes. Plus yeah. I've been really enjoying the cross bike. Yeah. Uh, and we're racing cross right now. So as much time as we can spend on those bikes, all the yeah. better. Yep. The yeah, geometry cool. is be the same. Right. And so we, we have that set up and probably around 35 miles an hour at around 110 to 120 RPM, somewhere in there mm-hmm. is, is where we're at, which is, that's pretty, that's pretty good. I think I might though. So I've been talking about this a lot. I want to make this like a all around bike. Mm-hmm. I have a sweet mountain bike. This will be my road slash cross bike dropper post. Awesome. Get some newer wheels. And then maybe have the road wheels, like whatever the season is, have these these OE wheels that I have on now uh, with the you know the opposite tire that you're not mm-hmm. doing. And then maybe in the front we have a 40. Maybe put like a 44 on it with yeah. the 42. Sure. And then I can that. And that's, that's the st- chain ring size he's talking yeah. about. Yeah. And then we'd be able to get plenty out of it. Now to run that cassette, that wide range cassette from SRAM, you have to have something called an XD driver. And that's just a different free hub body. Most modern hubs work with that. And the reason you have to have that is because it goes all the way down to a 10, which is a smaller diameter than what most free hubs are. Right. So mm-hmm. if you don't want to do that, you can go with uh, Shimano. They have uh, their XT rear derailleur comes in an 11, all the way up to an 1146 in the back um the gaps are pretty big with that uh, but uh, since it's still an 11 speed but you can run that um so those are the different options you can do if you i've seen people mix and match things as well where they'll use a shimano derailleur with like a sram cassette and that does work by the way it's not like one won't work and one and the and the other will they work with each other just fine um, the only thing that you can't mix are shifters and derailleurs because sram has a one-to-one ratio and shimano's is not one-to-one but and cassettes and derailleurs, you can shift them around or change. And, and Jonathan mentioned that there are big gear changes or big gear jumps between these cogs because we're covering such a wide range all the way from 10 up to 40 or more. 42, yeah. And it's surprising how crisp it still is, though. It works oh. so well. And and in defense, further defense of, of one by, not that it needs to be defended, but it, it that simplicity I was talking about, you know, it's a necessity when you're hypoxic and you're just gassed the whole mm-hmm. time. You don't want to think about, am I in my big ring? Am I in my small ring? It's so easy that it's just that one paddle up and or down. Climb. That's it. To Javi yesterday, it was, I said it right. Yes. Nice Javi. job. Um, like a local. It was so nice to be able to just shift back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is nice. So that's the update on cross stuff. That was a lot. Um, but hopefully it gave you all some information on bike setup and, and everything else. Um, and hopefully if anybody has any good, good ideas on a new way to measure power for cyclocross that makes me not feel bad about myself, <laughs> let me know. I got some ideas, Jonathan. <laughs> Let's go into Chris's question. He says, for some of the workouts where there is a short 150 to 200% FTP burst, uh, guard comes to mind is one of the workouts there. Given that there's a delay with my power meter, do I need to compensate by starting to reach the 200% FTP one to two seconds before the short segment? Typically by the time I hit 200% FTP, I'm a few seconds into the segment already. How should I tackle this? So he's, he's talking about being as precise as he can with the yeah. intervals. Power smoothing too. Well, if you have a long power mm-hmm. smoothing, you could attack right away, but it's like your physiology is still hitting at the same time. And mm-hmm. it's just the the readings are a second or two behind. So what do you say, Chad? Yeah, I mean, if we're just looking for a six or eight second effort, um, don't get too hung up on exact durations. We're just looking for a really short but all-out effort to kick off this interval. Um, there's a difference if you're on a smart trainer versus a non-smart trainer where there, there might be a bit of a lag, but it kind of 
compensates for that because, you know, it may start a little late, but it also finishes a little late. And that's the same strategy that you can employ. You know, if you're missing that first couple of seconds or it takes you a couple of seconds to wind up to that high power, just carry that interval slightly longer before you settle back into, you know, wherever it drops. Yeah, I see a lot of people um, get frustrated about the kicker not picking up quick enough when they're mm-hmm. when when or yeah, whatever never understood that have. frustration it's, but then at the same time you get it on the tail end of yeah, the interval you're still you getting know? it we actually made a change on that is uh if i say it people will have it in their brains but we actually switched the kicker two seconds before you start an interval just because we found that's how long the ramp takes yeah mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it isn't it, because, it lines it up perfectly then and it isn't because people weren't getting Almost the perfect. benefit of the workouts it's just because people were misunderstanding that yeah right? it would it would come out two seconds you know it would switch that you're, you'd see your power come out two seconds after the interval started, and yeah. that would annoy people, so we updated that. Yeah. yeah, it's not that you weren't getting the workout benefit. We just were just making... Like everything was shift back two seconds. Everything's whole, all sunny like and happy a, a now. shadow, almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's go into uh, another question from Snapchat. And this one, he actually... I, this is less of a question and more of, like a, I guess, a tip that he wanted to share with horror us. Horror story. Yeah, and a horror story. And I thought it was valuable. So he says, I'm a heavy sweater and found last week that it was causing serious corrosion to the handlebars in my new bike which by, and making it completely unsafe. This is true. There were holes in his handlebar. And this is a 2016 bike, new bike. Wow. The holes worn in his handlebar. I so no idea. Now, he says, now I do sweat quite a lot. So I think this is a bit unusual for about nine months of riding. But here's some suggestions that people could use to avoid getting in my situation with it. And that situation is his handlebars being rotted through or corroded through. He says, number one, stay away from thick bar tape. It holds moisture and residue and takes longer to dry. That's a really good uh, point. I I'd never mm-hmm. really thought of my bar tape or made a purchasing decision on bar tape based off of how it holds probably, moisture. Probably more so in humid environments. I don't know yeah. that that would apply here. We're really dry. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're here in Kona. It applies here. Yeah. Well, certainly definitely here. applies here. Oh, what yeah. what bar tape do you guys use? That's a good point. I, I love whatever's on the crux. Yeah, that stuff's I awesome. Think that, yeah, so it's like it's a sticky tape. Um, it's not like a cork tape. It's, it's rubbery. Rubbery. And it's not, but it's not slippery. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Nice and tacky. Yeah, I, I don't. I think it might be their Roubaix tape, perhaps. And that, that li- sure. I like lizard skins as well. It's kind of along the same lines. Yeah, it, this stuff feels like lizard skins, and that's probably my favorite bar tape mm-hmm. is lizard skin stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but at the same time, that may not breathe quite as well. So, if you're in a sweaty environment, you might not want to have something like that. Um, number two, if you are looking to justify carbon bars, this would be the perfect excuse. There you go. That's your answer. There we are. Yeah, right? carbon bars. yeah it's, it's not going to corrode from the <laughs> End sweat. End question. Yeah. Uh, it may affect the clear coat, perhaps, if you have like a clear coat on there, but it's know. not going DC to affect Rainmaker, you the resin. Ray has talked about how he sweats a ton on his gear, never had an issue at all. Yeah. You know, salt, you know, you got to wipe off the salt, but as far as deterioration, mm-hmm. nothing. And then the next thing he says is cover your handlebars with plastic or waterproof tape. I could see that, but I'd be totally worried about mm. something getting in there and then that holding it in, yeah. right? Yeah, that, that'd be bad. And then uh, the fifth or the fourth point, he says, a company called Anaerobic Zone makes a handlebar and bike cover that works well too. Yeah, a lot of companies make those covers too. I used them um, in, in the CompuTrainer classes I used to lead. And they're a bit of a pain to put on and you know you have to uh, resituate your fan. You can't have your fan right in front of you or you're not going to get any of that cooling. Mm. So you got to push it off to the side. But uh, everybody, I, I've seen, geez, probably five, 10 different brands of those. Not hard to come by. Yeah, so this, this is the first time any of us have heard of this, right? Yeah, I've never heard of handlebars oh, yeah. rotting. So this it's probably not a it's giant, giant problem. Corrosive. Right. And you can just 
buy more carbon. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> if you think it's, it's going to be a big problem. You know, and, and one thing that you can check this back an uh, episode that we did back in April um, with Bradley Copeland. He's the one of the head mechanics. He's the only mechanic, I think, that specialized trust with all their top triathletes and mountain bikers and road racers. He's, In fact, he's here in Kona right now prepping some bikes for that. But he said that he sees a lot of their athletes with their bikes. He said especially triathletes when they're in the aero bars and there are a lot of surfaces where sweat can collect. And he said that he sees a lot of damage with that. And he said, the best thing that you can do if you're in the garage, he said, all you have to do is he said, just take a air gun and just spray it out afterward. If you have that, he said, that's a great way to get the sweat out of there and you'll cut down on corrosion. Or he said, just take a water bottle and just squirt your bike down with your water bottle, unless it has mix in it or something like that. If it's just water, squirt it down with water no and Gatorade. then try to just dip that water out, but that can really help. I use a hose, a garden mm-hmm. hose that's on like a, like a shower setting, not anything jet, like you maybe right. water. Yeah, no high with. pressure or anything. Yeah. It's, it's a low pressure thing, but I just do that all over. Yeah. And that's, uh, he said that the scariest thing that he's seen is a set of wheels that they had sweat. They, the, the nipples on the wheels were at the base of the rim. It wasn't like internal ones, but he said they had sweated. They were sweating so much that person, and it was dropping onto the tire, then going around and hitting at the base of the rim that it actually rotted out like six spokes. The, oh. the nipples right there. What are these people eating? So, that's amazing, sweat right? Sweat sounds deadly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't, I don't have that, that issue. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a heavy sweater like that, but if you are, you might want to check your bars or anything else like that. And that doesn't for just sure. go for indoor training too. If you're a heavy sweater and you're riding outside and you're doing climbs, anything else oh, like yeah. that, and you're sweating a bunch, same thing. Uh, so yeah, keep an Safety eye out. Safety first. Yes. Todd says, hi guys, longtime user of Trainer Road and loyal listener of the podcast. Six stars. Yes. Nice job. Uh, after a general rebuild this summer, I am finishing up the XC marathon plan in preparation for a 50 mile race over the course of the marathon marathon plan. I found myself really struggling to complete the longer threshold and supra threshold interval workouts. I've tried backpedaling for 10 seconds, pausing at the rest interval and reducing the intensity, but ultimately end up bailing or just limping to the end of the workouts. The shorter high intensity intervals are challenging, but I can get through those most times. Do you think I have my FTP adjusted too high or am I finding that sustained threshold is my weakness and the area that I should direct my focus in future training plans? Any thoughts or or insights on how I should direct my future training plans would be much appreciated. Thanks for your help, Todd. Todd, I actually don't think it's either of those things. I think it's just plain and simple fatigue. You've overdone it to a point where you just can't quite um, hang in there for those longer, more taxing efforts. Um, two things happen when when you're under-rested, or two obvious things happen when you're rested. One, you can't create the max power that you would see in like a five-second sort of sprint effort. The neurological demand, you just you just can't muster it, or the output, you just can't muster it. So that's one thing that suffers, but that's not something we really do indoors too much. Um, and then the other thing is these, these longer, more taxing, draining, uh, endocrinologically and chronologically sapping efforts. It's just hard to, to keep on it like that. So you can do these short one and two minute efforts, even though they're really high in output, they're, they're short enough that you can, you can, you know, weather those, those short storms. But when we try to do these longer efforts, it, 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 it you start to see just how fatigued you are. Mm-hmm. So when you get to the point where you're bailing and, and, and as you put it, uh, limping to the end of these workouts, you've passed the point of productivity. You need to recognize that this workout isn't what it's supposed to be. My body isn't recovering to the point where I can do what I'm supposed to be doing. It's probably a question of more rest, whether that Mm -hmm. comes as uh, 
you know, more time between intense workouts, a recovery week or a stretch of recovery days, maybe some lighter intensity riding between plans, whatever it is. Um, you just got to get yourself back on that right track. Yeah. You mentioned that you, uh, did a general rebuild this summer and then now you're doing another specialty plan. So I assume that you did specialty rebuild specialty mm -hmm. and I don't know what came before that specialty you might've been base build specialty right into it. Um, so that's a, a long season of racing uh, or of training yeah. and, uh, and it could just be cumulative. It's just starting to catch up yeah. with you. Yeah. And, and it changes for each person. I know, I know certain people would be able to carry on, uh, you know, carry a high level of training stress for quite a while. Um, without having to trend that down maybe as much as the next guy. But this is all part of the process of finding out what exactly works for you and what adjustments you might need to make. Um, this should uh, th this sounds like, yeah, fatigue to me too. Um, another one, I don't know you, Todd, but maybe nutrition too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Good point. Those longer intervals. Sleep, stress. A little more carbs before the workout. We've talked mm -hmm. a lot about fueling the workout. Helps so much. Could help, yeah. yeah. Um, and then mental, it's, I think the longer intervals oh, are, yeah. they are harder mentally focus. than the short ones. Yeah. Cause the short ones, I mean, it's, it's easy to do something for a minute. It's hard to stay focused. Yeah, they've for they've actually minutes. measured that. I mean, the, the coping that's required to, to draw these efforts out over longer and longer durations requires a lot of, of uh, mental output. There's a lot going on in your brain. And we talk about physical fatigue over a year uh, that you mm -hmm. may be a year, roughly a year of training or, uh, you know, two seasons back to back there's also mental fatigue that comes into play there too. You may be in a situation where mm -hmm. you've done this and you keep going and that, you know, long-term it adds up as yeah, well. You just can't conjure the desire to, to push yourself that hard and suffer that much. Yeah, that could be it too. So, um, whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's a sign of fatigue, uh, Todd. So, uh, consider that all uh, via Snapchat, he says at the end of the race season, how long should you take off the bike? He mentions that he raced time trials and crits weekly, trained 10 to 15 hours with deload weeks for the past or for the last five months. And this kind of ties into his next question, but let's just try to answer that one generally before we go. Well, it's kind of what we just talked about. Um, you, you, you just have to recognize that point of diminishing returns. You know, how can I can I rebound after a two week layoff? Do I need more more like four weeks? Um, what does that layoff consist of? Am I still doing? Am I still on the bike at all? Um, am I doing tempo repeats? Do I have to dial it way back down to, you know, recovery rides, et cetera. So it's, it's hugely subjective, but you know, the idea is that, you know, when you re-enter the, the training arena, you're fit to do so. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, it totally depends for certain people. They need a lot of time off. So yeah, and maybe, with, maybe uh, cyclocross racing is what a person needs mm -hmm. to kind of recharge. It's maybe, yeah. yeah. I and mean, it could be, you know, partly psychological, but, uh, you know, physiologically the, the body's only capable of handling so much stress at some point, you know, and so many factors come into play here. You know, how old are you? What's your training history? What else is going on in life? What's your sleep pattern? What are your sleep patterns like? What's your nutrition like, et cetera. Mm, yeah, that's a, a good point. Um, now we'll get into uh, his the next part of his question. He says, I only have access to a gym with a spin bike uh, for January and February. I normally keep training through November and December and take January and February easy. Trying to make up base training. And then he says, or should I... Um, forgive me, I skipped a line there. He says, should I keep training through November and December and take January easy? Trying to make up uh, base training time in March and May and be ready for June? Or still take November and December easy and do best intervals I can on a gym spin bike uh, for January and February. Yeah, same thing. You just gotta kind of kind of figure out what works for you. I mean, if it's worked in the past, chances are it's gonna work again. Um, it, it, what I don't want is is two months of downtime. Definitely don't get away from it. Do something. You know, you can take a couple weeks. 
took a couple of weeks off, get, get, get some departure from the bike if, if that's what you need. But um, too long a stretch will have too big an effect on your, your aerobic capacity, you know, mm-hmm. what you can do aerobically. That takes a lot of time to build, not a lot of time to lose, unfortunately. So if, if, no, part. if nothing else, yeah, <laughs> stay, on top, stay yeah. on top of your aerobic conditioning. And that doesn't have to be with high intensity. It can be with, you know, a reasonable amount of volume, high level of consistency. Yeah, that's a, a good point. So the gym spin bike might not provide you the environment or the, the precision that you may have otherwise, right? Yeah, but it's something. But yeah, and, and if you just adjust your training for those circumstances then and like chad said maybe focus on something with less specificity perhaps or less variation or anything like that and you're still going to be getting a lot of training benefit what do you think of like um so if he doesn't have a p1 if if he bought p1 pedals which are expensive you could do train road rides on the spin bike what do you think about like three times a week spin class for those like it's like very less structured but maybe still aerobically like hitting your system yeah, yeah, that that's absolutely a, a viable option, and you know, some of those include a, a fair amount of high intensity, and then you've mm-hmm. probably gotten a real good sense of what that high intensity actually is, and actually feels like. Yeah, yeah, whether that's you're the not, thing that's yeah, P ones or not. Yeah, people like, oh, I feel I'm hopping yeah, around. Make sure you find the ones where like you you dance while you're at the bike. Oh. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Always. <laughs> ne- never do those jump things with the heavy flywheel. I can't believe that's part of any spin uh, bike curriculum. Apart. It's <laughs> crazy, man. Um, so Alwyn, hopefully that gives you some solid advice there. Uh, let's move on to Linda's question. She says, hi, I've been using trainer road for over a year now and I've also convinced my partner to use it when he was recovering from operations following a broken femur. Ouch. That's the worst man. Oh, um, we're both regular users now and have seen some great improvements. So thanks for that. My question is this, whilst I know I'm getting fitter, improved FTP, improved average speed on steady rides and easier club rides. I seem to be struggling converting that fitness into improved time trial times. A while ago, I heard you talking on one of the podcasts about using erg trainers and different effects on using, say, a 3416 uh, as a gear compared to a 5012, even though the power output is maintained or the power output is maintained the same by the trainer. I didn't understand it then and still don't. But is it possible this is why I'm struggling to translate my extra fitness to TT improvements? Um, so let's just address that right yeah. now. I, I, I don't think that it probably would not unless all you're doing is training what's effectively low gear work and you're, you're muscling this 70 RPM and then going out and trying to ride your TTs at 95. Yeah. So if you're preparing yourself for one type of stress, but then exposing yourself to something very different that that would play into it. Yeah. She mentioned the fact that, um, since she has a low FTP of 157, that she usually is in a very low gear because that allows her to kind of the the rest intervals are really low on mm-hmm. her smart trainer right and if she isn't in a in a low enough gear she just hovers above that because smart trainers kind of have a floor and a ceiling where they won't go too low um so you know being in a lower gear can help with that so she did mention that it could have an effect. Yeah, I mean, and one thing you can do, um, if you're not on a smart trainer and you hit those recovery valleys and it doesn't seem that you have gearing that actually allows you to recover, don't hesitate to backpedal. You know, you're still working, you're still, you're still, you know, at least keeping the muscles active, blood's flowing, mm-hmm. uh, delivery of nutrients, uh, removal of waste, etc. It's still, it's still taking place. It may not seem like much, but it is still movement. Um, and, and the recovery is what we're after here. So if that comes at no load versus really low load, or in your case, you can't really create really low load, then then try backpedaling. See if that gets you refreshed enough so that you can hit the intervals again and start m- making your marks. You still can shift too, 
on that smart trainer. Like it's it's oh, not yeah, out of not, the realm of possibility. If like you're not you just have to let the kicker catch up to it. Yeah, and and a good strategy to do that. So let's say you've got these rest intervals, and the problem is uh, if you're in the type of gear that you be using when you're training outside, you can't. The rest intervals intervals aren't low enough. Shift down to those rest intervals, and then once the power picks back up, don't shift when the interval starts. But then, just slowly but surely, grab a gear no. for the first little bit. No, if if uh, I I think you should ten seconds or mm-hmm. fifteen seconds before the interval starts, shift in the right gear. Yep. All of that will hit your floor and will go up. It'll smooth itself out fairly quickly. Probably ten seconds is plenty. And then when it starts, you'll just be there. Because if not, you're it's much easier to have a little bit of extra power at those rest mm-hmm. than when you're in the actual interval. That's a good point. The, the kicker is going to not. Yeah, yeah, the the, kicker, the kicker will adjust, but you'll if you're shifting during the interval, but it will but be if you're fluctuating. Threshold, yeah, it's like and that could, could piss be, you off. Yeah, yeah. If you do it beforehand, it makes more sense. With, with a smart trainer, always try to have your gearing and your cadence set a good 10, 12 seconds before the interval starts. Yeah, and cadence is a huge thing too. Mm-hmm. So keep your cadence the same. You have to push yep. through a little bit of that change, Linda. Yeah, but I would definitely do that. And another thing, um, it sounds obvious, but make sure you're in your TT position. And that's what I was going to... While you're doing yeah, your That's, that's what I wanted to talk about was, concern. other than gearing, what could be the issues that, mm-hmm. in this case, could cause her to not be executing time trials like she wants? Yeah, and that's that was the first thing that sprung to my mind, is, mm-hmm. is that maybe she's training in an upright position, then going out and trying to work in her arrow position, or uh, maybe she's doing lighter workouts in arrow position than trying to do harder work out on the time trial course. Uh, either way, you've got to do some hard work in that arrow position. I've, I've been a victim of this myself. Um, just tried to get the conditioning figured as long as I'm fresh and rested and, and, and motivated on race day, I can suffer that, that more, more aerodynamic position never pans out. Hmm. Also mindset when you are training inside versus racing, uh, it, I think that with a time trial, it, it, and with a race environment, everything else, it's easy to kind of get, um, caught up in that, uh, perhaps be distracted mentally or not, not as focused as you are inside. Or you could be blowing your pacing. Maybe the, you know, yep. the exposure to the race environment has you going out. It doesn't sound like she has a power meter. Mm, that, yeah, it doesn't says, yeah. roughly. Yeah. When you're outside, it doesn't sound like it. We could be wrong, Linda. Um, mm. but it doesn't sound like that. I, I, I think that time trials are such a, everything is so focused and distilled that it all comes down to the, to the small little things. And focus is one thing that's huge when you're inside on the trainer and especially with the smart trainer. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, whether you're watching a movie or anything else like that, you kind of distract yourself from the effort. Uh, some people do with the, with the smart trainer, they don't have to focus on hitting that number and you're just, uh, maybe you're watching something on TV or watching a race or something else like that. And then when you get out onto the road, it's a very different environment there, you know, house of cards is no longer there. Yeah. What is it? It's a, a recreational writers focus on everything, but the pain and competitive writers focus on nothing but the pain. Yeah. That's a good thing. I've never heard that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so um, maybe just the consider the the focus and I guess mental circumstances of training versus racing, and uh, maybe there's some room to be picked up there as well. So if you're doing the training and you're following it with precision, then it's it's the proper training plan and meaning that you know you're, you're you aren't 
that it's the right volume version for what you need, you'll be getting faster. You'll be improving. Um, but if your race results don't show that, there could be a disconnect. And, and, and one more thing to consider is, you know, maybe that volume is too high, or maybe the timing of your workouts relative to your com- competitions isn't isn't effective. Mm-hmm. So if you're carrying more fatigue than you you know can can effectively carry into your races, then you're you're doing them tired. So they're not fair representations of where your fitness actually is if you're a little too tired to perform to your capabilities. Hmm. Uh, Kevin's question. He says, I recently wrapped up sustained power build mid volume with a taper week, just in time for a 70 mile gravel race. Fitness and freshness were just right. The trainer road plan served me really well, despite this race being considerably longer than even my longest endurance rides. Huge thanks for the high quality plans and the podcast advice on putting that fitness to use on race day. Nice job, Kevin. Good job, Kevin. Well done, man. Uh, After about the two hour mark, though, all my leg muscles were on the verge of cramping. (laughs) Hamstrings, this sounds familiar, Chad. Oh, yes. Uh, Hamstrings, quads, calves were all on edge, though thankfully never blew up into a full cramp which would have forced me off the bike. But this did force me to pedal more gingerly for the second half of the race. Uh, Total time was about four and a half hours, so no out-of-the-saddle efforts. And extra care was needed when the grade got steep and cadence dropped. The end result was slower than I had expected, and I think slower than what I was capable of. Nutrition, hydration, and recovery were all solid on race day. Weather was overcast and cool in the mid-40s. I assume that's Fahrenheit. Uh, Could a few hours on rough gravel roads be enough to give my lower body the equivalent of a Charlie horse? Any other ideas on what would prompt all over cramping and how to, good thing I corrected that one, and how to prevent it in in future races? That's a very different problem. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so how should he prevent it as well? Kevin, this is uh, particularly germane germane in my case because I experienced this very thing. So tried to do one cross race, had a 15-minute break, not really, and then right into another cross race. It was just more than my body could handle, more than I've exposed it to in, in recent memory. So it was outside of what my body is used to. Um, maybe you've done a four and a half hour ride. Maybe you've done, uh, workouts that were as stressful as this in terms of the intensity, but maybe haven't done the two put together. In any case, your body experienced something it's not accustomed to. You just, you just push harder than, than, you know, your capabilities would allow. And it revolted. It it said no more, can't do this. And that's exactly what happened to me in this race. Mm -hmm. I didn't race straight for 90 minutes and geez, I don't know. I don't remember how long. And I, I was cramping to the point where, I mean, everything was cramping, hamstrings, quads, glutes. I mean, everything in my lower body, obviously, but I I hadn't held the bars that hard for that long. And when I tried to take my hands off, I couldn't move my thumbs. I actually had to use fingers on the other hand to extend my thumbs. It it was just unfamiliar stress. I I was asking more of my body than it was accustomed to. Yeah. You're used to holding on to like in a bumpy situation, mountain bike grips or something like that versus also that's one thing to consider. Sorry. And this is a tangent, but with cyclocross holding onto your bars. Oh, wow. There's no suspension up front. It's in, at least with our courses, really bumpy and you're holding onto the hoods a lot of the time or the drops and, and it really does require a lot of grip. So that can cramp, not only are your legs cramping, but your hands and arms could cramp too. We don't know exactly why people cramp. I, I've always we thought pretty good. And, and not just yeah. we, I, and that that's saying the world human race. Yeah, yeah. We don't know. Like, yeah. Our brothers and sisters around the world <laughs> yeah. do not know. Yeah. But you know, doing, as Chad said, doing things that you haven't done before. The latest like trend that I've seen, and there's some products around it, which I want to believe because I'm like, because <laughs> it's X-Files, delicious. I want to believe is yeah. spicy food, yeah. Yeah. which is, I don't, 
really understand why. I think there's like a hot it's just, shot. There's a neural product. component. There's, there's, you, it's just overstimulation. You keep sending this same message to the muscle over and over and over and over and over. And at some point, you just, you just can't keep up with it. It's more than your, 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 your muscles are used to. Your so brain's still sending the messages, yes. but your muscles just can't, can't respond like they. They used to, so the, the theory here food. is that the spicy food has like some neuro, neurological component that distracts or you know maybe smooths out those signals or something. But in any yeah. case, there's there's some decent research backing it, and you know why not try it? You know, have some mustard, have some sriracha. If it prevents cramps, whatever is actually taking place, I who know. cares? The cramps are gone. I've mentioned this before. There's a guy that I've known very long rides with, and he stops in at McDonald's or anywhere else, and he grabs their mustard packets on long rides. Man, if it works, why not? For him, it, I've it does not work for me. Um, you know, I've gone spicy enough (laughs) i just need to go hotter yeah i've you know i rarely have i I rarely experience cramps i experienced them at cross reno uh the the strange thing was they came in about halfway through the race and then they started to fade at the end of the race um and they also if i were to look back at that they came in when i was being most hard on myself frustrated at why my power was dropping and i was and i have no clue if that influenced it if it's just purely correlation who knows but um, once I kind of recommitted and refocused to just continuing on and, and, and focusing on specific aspects of the course, when I shifted that focus, it seemed to change a bit. Um, I've, I don't know what causes cramps, but thinking about this on gravel roads, if you're on a bike, that's like a road bike or anything else, you, you hover slightly above the saddle when things are rough, right? So you're using a lot more tension in your muscles and in your body than you would otherwise. You're just more muscularly active. Exactly. There's, you know, there's so much work going on. Now you ride down a smooth road and you know, you see me mention this all the time in the workout text, be relaxed, drop your shoulders, loosen your jaw, all that. That's all good and fine when you're sitting on a trainer or you're on a smooth road, but you hit a, a mountain bike course or even a gravel road. There's, there's just more activity going on, more work. Yeah. And all of those, think of those tiny little muscle contractions. There's so many of them going on and that adds up over mm-hmm. time. And, and like Chad said, that could be a very undue stress. So the gravel section could very well be influencing that. Also, is that gravel section freaking you out mentally? And maybe that's something you're really focused on. Who knows that that could maybe affect it. I've only cramped once during a, anything. Mm-hmm. And it was at Silverman triathlon, which it used to be considered one of the hardest ones. It was the half instead of the full, but I think 2008 was the last time I cramped. Wow. And I eat spicy food all the time. But that's like, that's, so science, what I just well, said. There's, there's timing to it what, also. What, what, what I said, though, is a joke. So oh. don't like, um, say if you don't see my face here, just because, and I hate when people do this, they say, it doesn't happen to me and I eat spicy food all the time. That is not science. That does not mean anything. Not causation. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, and that's even a weak correlation, right? I'm also right. tall. Yeah, <laughs> and I have brown hair. Yeah, yeah, I have brown hair, and yeah. uh, you got. I don't, don't cramp. Yeah, exactly. It's, Ch- Chad is blonde, therefore he cramps. I, I hate like people it. when cramp. people do that you so much, <laughs> and I like have to keep it in a lot of times. But with you guys' podcast, I can share this. Yeah, and <laughs> and he, here's another thing that I, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this. So he mentioned the fact that he had to pedal gingerly, or else he cramped. Now. I, the last time other than cross Reno that I can think of that I cramped was like 120 mile day, a long day up in the mountains. And I was trying something out with fasted, uh, riding, trying to push my limits with fasted riding in the beginning. So I went three hours without eating into the ride and I had, didn't eat the whole morning and it set up for a very bad latter end of the day. Um, I remember, at least for me at that point, and this was really bad cramping on my inner thighs actually, mm-hmm. and then my calves in the back. And if I pedaled gingerly, it was like more opportunity for the cramps to come up. 
And if I like ever, if you think of like the muscle, like in full extension, if I was like stretching my calf or standing on my legs, that was fine. But if I tried to like lift my heel up, not as high as it could go, but somewhere in between there, that's when I would start cramping. For me personally, when I push harder on the pedals, I seem to cramp less. It's all the freewheeling or soft pedal. Well, that's, there, there's a shift in, in what muscles are contributing to the activity though. So you've been going easy for a long time. So your slow twitch fibers are on the verge of cramping. You mm -hmm. start to drill it and you start to recruit, you know, intermediate and fast twitch fibers. You're shifting the demand from those overly fatigued fibers to different fibers. Interesting. Yeah. That's but he too, he didn't actually cramp. He said he was just on the verge. Yeah. yeah. He was on yeah. the verge. Right. Yeah. So he rode that fine line. When so, I, so he that's a scary line to ride. <laughs> when I cramped, I like, I like stopped. I think I left, I left one foot clipped in. And I just laid down with the bike on me because I couldn't extend <laughs> my legs. Oh no, I've had to fall and I couldn't, off. it was just yeah. like, it was locked. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. move. Yeah. I had to, I just, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, long ride, much longer than anything I'd done. I had to abandon because there was still another climb that I wasn't gonna be able to do. That's our coffee maker. Nice Hawaiian coffee keeping. <laughs> Rode all the way back. Got to a point where I was just going slow, slow, slower. I couldn't generate any power at all. Got to a park. Started to get my phone out. Realized I wasn't even going to be able to get off my bike. I literally had to pile or plow up onto the grass so that I could fall over. Deal with the cramping to the point where I could get unclipped and make that phone call for my <laughs> for my ride. I think the summary with this is we uh, we as in all humans humans don't know exactly what causes cramps. However, we have noticed Got a, a pretty good idea though. We have noticed a correlation between um, increased like excessive demand that you're putting on your system on your muscles and that correlating with cramps. So um, hopefully that that gives you some insight there, Kevin. The last question uh, for the day is from Francis. It's also from Snapchat. He says, hey, Trainer Road, longtime customer and now podcast listener. Five stars, obviously. Obviously. Obvi, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a quick question. I've started Sweet Spot based Medium and the weather in the UK is unexpectedly good. So do I, one, keep riding outside and get good miles. Two, keep riding outside but try and emulate the sessions. Three, concentrate on nailing the sessions. Advice is much appreciated, Francis. Uh, I have a hard time telling everyone to do their training indoors all the time, even though that the quality is higher, you, you have to have that variety. So personally, I'd say, you know, you know, make uh, hay while the sun shines, right? So if you can get outside for a couple of your rides each week and keep enjoying that good weather, do it, but keep your quality inside. Do those, those hard interval sessions indoors where you can, uh, yes. So especially those longer, like, uh, Baxter, it's in there like 90 mm -hmm. minutes, two mm -hmm. hours, oh, two yeah. and a half minutes of endurance. Great opportunity. Yeah. If you can do those outside, you have the opportunity. If you have the roads too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It depends on the type of roads you have, but yeah, that yeah, polarize it right in that in that sense, like like yeah, have no, not your... necessarily polarize exactly, but but just do the easier, simpler, lower uh, intensity stuff and the more basic stuff outdoors, and and you know derive some enjoyment from it rather than sitting in front of a wall or or. Yeah, and that's that, that's what I mean. There is the Dude, sense that like, good, oh, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> but when the the sun's shining and the weather's good and the roads yeah. are clear, we understand everyone yeah. trains to ride their bike fast outside. Exactly, mm -hmm. and and that that's what I mean by by polarizing it is enjoy the time you have outside by by you know not making it quite as strict. Um, but but keep the quality but indoors. Keep the quality absolutely. That's, that's a better tactic than just trying to emulate everything. And that's outside. that's a year round recommendation with me with yeah. us. Absolutely, yeah, especially with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, out. Please stay signed up year round, and uh, it really helps the company grow. Yeah, we got a lot of lot of coaches out there that will advocate that same approach. They like their riders to do the intensity inside. Two, two. Uh, it's amazing. Okay, 
train road pitch and we'll end it <laughs> it's amazing how much more fit you'll be though if during yep. you're doing at least your two interval sessions inside during the summer and then you can do your outside stuff that's it's it amazing. seriously if you can keep those two sessions indoors you, you, your fitness neat. won't slip away like most riders see when they head back outdoors and that's from like a low volume plan you'll have two yep. very structured ones then you'll have a longer weekend one two one-hour so. efforts i mean or yep. one-hour workouts it'll make a huge difference so uh with that uh, thank you for submitting your questions you can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad on different social platforms. Uh, you can find us on Snapchat as well, and we answer some questions on there. I've seen a lot of people, by the way, like submitting like the questions that they would normally submit on the form via Snapchat. I'm not sure that's the best way to do it because some of them are really long, like like really long. I end up scrolling for a while. Um, if you have a question like that, I would recommend putting it through to the form on Snapchat. Uh, that's like a quick question if you have something you want answered. We even answer a lot of them in person really quick with like a video, but it's not... Uh, it, those things don't live forever. So if you if you want something written and you have a really long, detailed question, it may be better just to send it through the form. And then hopefully it's one that provides for, for good radio, so to speak, for people to listen to. So we appreciate it. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.